New heresies and new distortions are but old heresies with new names and old distortions with contemporary twists. And this morning, as, as a way of preface, I want you to be aware of another dangerous influence that has affected modern evangelism. During the 1700s, there was a, a Scottish minister by the name of Robert Sandiman. And this minister began to promulgate a dangerous belief and a dangerous idea that became what is known as Sandimanianism. And Robert Sandiman taught that all one needed to do to be saved was to say and to confess that he or she believed in Jesus Christ. And upon that confession, salvation was granted. He also taught that everyone who is persuaded that Jesus died for sin, as testified by the apostles, was also justified, regardless of any change in his or her life. So even if you were living like a pagan, you could always point back to, you com to your conversion to the day you made that profession of faith. Because he believed that a profession of faith is what saves you. And Robert Sandiman's anchor passage was the famous Romans 10, verse 9. I want to read it to you so you can understand the context of his position. Verse 9 says, Because if you confess with your mouth uh, that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be Say, And the shadows of Sanderman are clearly perceived in today's gospel invitations. When you hear people say, confess with your mouth that Jesus is your Savior. Or if you hear people say, profess with your mouth and confess that Jesus is your Savior and your Lord. You are hearing Mr. Sanderman. Thousands and thousands of people, ministers pastors and preachers, churches, have and continue to use this passage, Romans 10, 9, as a means to communicate what one must do to be saved, primarily because of Mr. Sandeman's influence. Because as Romans 10 explicitly says, that if you confess with your mouth, you will be saved. What Mr. Sandeman and most preachers and churches and believers today seem to ignore or forget is firstly that Romans 10.9 is the continuation of Romans 10.1 that, that Paul is not giving an evangelistic message to unbelievers but rather he is speaking to believers in the church of Rome that if Paul is saying that salvation is acquired by a confession or a profession of faith he would be contradicting everything that he has expressed in the book of Romans. Right? He would be contradicting what he taught throughout all of the epistles. Mainly that salvation is by grace alone through faith alone. Let me make a parenthesis in here. Salvation is by grace, not by faith. Grace is the condition of salvation. 
Faith is the means through which you acquire that salvation. Make sense? So grace is the condition. Faith is the instrument. So what is Paul saying here? That salvation is by grace through faith and not by a confession of faith. You see the difference? Salvation is by grace through faith, not by a mere confession or profession of faith. Fourthly, a confession of belief in Jesus. Listen to this, brothers and sisters. A confession of belief in Jesus does not mean that you believe in Jesus. I'm going to repeat that again. A profession or confession of belief in Jesus does not mean that you believe in Jesus. How do I know that? Well, the Bible is very clear about that. The Bible says in James 2.19 that demons confess Jesus as Lord, yet they are still demons. James 2.19 says you believe that God is one, you do well, even demons believe and shudder. Many unconverted churchgoers, Bible teachers, and staff in the church confess Jesus as Lord, yet the Lord Jesus Christ calls them workers of evil. We find that in Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who says. And I want you to pay attention to that expression. Not everyone who says. In other words, not everyone who confesses. Not, not everyone who professes. Lord, Lord will enter into the kingdom of God. Rather, the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, many will confess to me, many will profess to me, many will declare to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and, and cast out demons in your name and, di and did many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I mean, that, that word lawlessness is a weighty word. That is the, the, uh, the epitome of, of evilness. I mean, you are a worker of evil. You confess me with your mouth, you're a pagan. Fifthly, unbelievers cannot and will not confess Jesus as Lord. Okay? An unbeliever cannot and will not confess Jesus as Lord. For Paul, if you read all of his epistles, for Paul, calling on the name of the Lord can only be done by the one who is already justified by faith. Amen? The ones who are calling on the name of the Lord are believers. Unbelievers cannot do that. And I will prove it to you in a little bit. Sixthly, it was Paul himself who persecuted believers for confessing Jesus as Lord. Remember on his way to Damascus? He went to Damascus to what? To arrest and to kill those who were confessing Jesus as Lord. And lastly, nowhere, and I'm going to repeat that again, nowhere in scriptures do we have any, and I say any, reference to the confession or to the profession of faith as a means to become a Christian. Nowhere in scriptures do we find the profession of faith as the means to acquire salvation. 
nowhere. So if Paul, Jesus, and the apostles denied the unbiblical idea of confessing Jesus as Lord as a means to salvation and conversion, what is Paul saying in Romans 10, 9, right? I mean, what, what, is, what is the meaning of, of Romans 10, 9? What is Paul saying here? Context is key. What did the word confession mean in, the, in this Greco-Roman context? Brothers and sisters, allegiance to the Roman Empire was predicated on the confession that Caesar was Lord. Persecution of Christians was greatly attributed and based on the fact that they did not confess Caesar as Lord. Even if you read the book of Revelation, the church of Smyrna was being persecuted and was being delivered by other Jews on the grounds that they did not want to confess Caesar as Lord. And I want you to think about the Roman context. Just, just picture this. Picture, picture Christian Jews in the Roman Empire. Picture Christians in, in, in this Greco-Roman context. They are in the marketplace. There are a lot of Roman citizens around them. And all of a sudden they are confronted by Roman soldiers. And a Roman soldier will ask a Roman citizen, Hey, listen, who is the Lord? And a Roman citizen will say something like, Kyrios Caesar. Caesar is Lord. And the Roman soldier will go and approach another Roman citizen and he will ask him, Hey, listen, who is the Lord? And then the Roman citizen will say something like, Kyrios Caesar, Caesar is Lord. And then he will go to a Christian and he will ask the Christian, Hey, who is the Lord? And the Christian will look at him and say, Kyrios Jesus. Bam! Beheaded. And then he will go to another Christian and say, Listen, who is the Lord? And the Christian will look at him and say, Kyrios Jesus. Jesus is Lord. Bam! Beheaded. The confession of Jesus is Lord was the public declaration that believers in the Greco-Roman context used to make to pledge allegiance to Jesus as their Lord. To make a distinction. We are not going to bow to Caesar. Kill me if you want to. But I'm not going to worship nor bow to a false god. That is what the confession meant in the Greco-Roman context. So what is the point of Romans 10, 9? Listen, very important. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, but, but, you will evidence that faith when you confess Jesus as Lord, even if it costs you your life. You see it? Salvation is by grace through faith. But you will evidence that faith when you are willing to stand strong and say, Kyrios Jesus, even if that confession costs you your life. With this being said, a confession of faith is not what we are looking for in evangelism. A profession of faith is not what we are looking for in evangelism. We are looking for an obedient faith. Amen? There's a difference. There's a difference between a profession of faith or a confession of faith and a, an obedient faith. Confession of faith is not the entry point. A profession of faith is not the entry point into the kingdom of God, but what flows out of an obedient faith. You see that? 
You see, you, you, you are obedient. Your faith is an obedient faith. And out of that obedient faith, you confess that Jesus Christ is Lord regardless of the repercussions. Make sense? Obedient faith is what makes you a Christian. A profession of faith in the midst of persecution is what evidences that you are a Christian. Are you tracking with me, brothers and sisters? Right? A profession of faith doesn't save you. A profession of faith evidences that you have saving faith. When we preach the gospel to others, we are not looking for a mere confession, but we are looking for an obedient response. Two different things. Why? Why that should be the aim of our gospel proclamation? Because that is the purpose of the gospel. And that's what we are going to be discussing this morning. We want an obedient faith. We want an obedient response because that is the purpose of gospel proclamation. Amen? So, in Romans chapter 1, Today we're going to focus on verse 5. In verse 1 and verse 2, Paul has already established the source of the gospel. That God is the originator of the gospel. That God is the architect of the gospel. In verses 3 and 4, then he moves on into the content of the gospel. If God the Father is the originator, then Jesus Christ is the content. When we say that we're preaching the gospel, we're preaching Christ and Him crucified. Amen? We're preaching His life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. Jesus Christ lived the perfect life that we couldn't live. He died the death that we deserve. Amen? And the greatest exchange, like Martin Luther said, happened on that cross. Our sins were imputed to Him. If we believe in Him, His righteousness will be imputed to us. Amen? A glorious exchange. But now in verse 5, he gives us the purpose of the gospel. Let's read. Through whom, that's Christ, we have received grace and apostleship to bring about, hmm, to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of Christ among all the nations. Source of the gospel, God, the Father. Content of the gospel, Jesus Christ. Purpose of the gospel, to bring about obedience and faith. But there is a precursor to the purpose of the gospel in this passage. And I want you to pay attention to it. Paul says that he and all believers, notice that he uses the word we. He as an apostle, but, but all believers have received two things from Christ. We have received grace from Christ. We have also received apostleship from Christ. This is very important because Paul is speaking about our position as believers and he's also talking about our mission as believers. Position, mission. When God saves people, he does so through the proclamation of the gospel of his son who happens to be the grace of God. Amen? Jesus is the grace of God. So when we will proclaim the gospel, we're proclaiming Jesus and through Jesus we are converted. Through the proclamation of Jesus and Him crucified, God saves people. So, through Christ, we have received conversion. Amen? Are we clear on that? Through Christ, we have received the conversion. We have received the grace of conversion. But the second thing that he mentions in this introduction to the purpose of the gospel is apostleship. 
He says we have received grace, but we have also received apostleship. Now, Paul was clearly an apostle of Christ. He was set apart to the office of an apostle. He, he was set apart by Christ to be an apostle to the Gentiles. But Paul, Paul is also indicating that all believers have received an apostleship. Not the same apostleship as Paul's apostleship. We're not talking about apostleship with capital A. We're talking about apostleship with lowercase a. We're talking about the vocation of an apostle. We're, lo we're looking at the vocation and the mission of an apostle. What do I mean by that? An apostle means a sent one. An apostle is one who is sent by someone else with authority to accomplish a mission. And all believers, all believers, after conversion, were commanded by God, were granted through Jesus Christ a mission. And what is that mission? To go, therefore, to make disciples. Amen? Let's, let's look at these two things in Ephesians 2, verse 10. Paul says, for we, and, and who is the we in Ephesians chapter 2? Those who have been saved by grace through faith, right? right? We are his workmanship created in Christ you see that phrase created in Christ that, that, that is recreated in Christ this is new creation this is conversion amen we are his workmanship recreated in Christ this is a very important phrase Paul earlier in that chapter calls believers kinos anthropos he calls believers a new humanity he calls believers a new invention. He calls believers something that no one has ever seen before. So when Paul says that we are created in Christ, that's what he means. We are a new invention created in Christ. For, see that? For what? Good works. That is the vocation. You see, God saves you for a purpose. And that purpose is your vocation. What is that vocation? Matthew 28, 19. Go therefore and make disciples. You see how Paul is constructing these two things? You are saved by grace through faith for good works. We are converted for a vocation. What is that vocation? To go out there and make disciples of all nations. We have received conversion from Christ. We have also received a vocation through Christ. Amen? Now pay attention to this. This is very important. How do we make disciples? How do we make disciples? And he answers that question through what he says next. Romans 1.5 He gave us conversion. He gave us apostleship to bring about. To bring about. That word bring about means to produce, right? To, to summon, to extract, to bring about, to develop. What? Obedience of faith. What's most, most remarkable about this statement, brothers and sisters, is that Paul closes the book of Romans with the same statement. In Romans 16, verse 24, 25 says, 25 and 26, Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel... My gospel, 
He's not saying that this is his gospel. He's not saying that this, this is something that he originated, but something that was given to him, right? You have a gospel. So he's saying, according to the gospel that I'm preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, listen, listen, according to the command of the eternal God, to bring about the obedience of faith. The purpose of the message that we proclaim is obedience of faith or obedience to the faith. The purpose of gospel proclamation is to bring about faith, is to bring about obedience it's not to bring a mere faith, but it's to bring an obedient faith. When you proclaim the gospel out there, you are summoning people to believe. You are summoning people to obey. Obey what? The command to repent. The command to believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You are not inviting people to accept Jesus as their Savior. Nowhere is that in Scripture. You don't invite people to accept Jesus. You command them to repent and believe. Huge difference. There is a chasm between those two approaches. One, with authority, you're commanding people to believe and repent because that's what God commands them to do. On the other one, you're offering an invitation. See the difference? Why do we command people to repent and obey? Sin is the transgression of God's law by the desire to steal God's glory. Because that's what we desire, we disobey God. Because that's what we aspire to, we also disobey God. We rebelled against God and we do not obey God. That's why Paul says in Romans 8, verse 7 to 8, For the mind that is set on the flesh is what? Hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. You know what that means? It does not obey God's law. It does not surrender to God's law. The mind that is set on the flesh cannot. He says he cannot, cannot do the submitting. It disobeys God willingly. Willingly. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. If you understand this, it would not surprise you that the purpose of the gospel is to command people and to call people to do the very opposite. When you are proclaiming the gospel, you are calling people to do something that they do not do. Because that is the very nature of sin. You're commanding them to obey. You're commanding them to do what God has commanded them to do. Why? Because they don't do it. Because they disobey God. Amen? This will make sense in a little bit. If sin is disobedience to God, and disobedience displeases Him, then obedience to God is what pleases Him. Right? Therefore, Therefore, the purpose of gospel proclamation is to call people to
to obey God by repenting of their sins and by placing their faith in the work of Jesus Christ. Perhaps you have never heard of this, but let me give you a couple of passages where Paul and other apostles always used the word obedience or a derivative of that word in connection with the gospel. Listen to what it says in Romans 10, 16. But they have not all, what? Obeyed the gospel. Hmm. Why did he say that they did not obey the gospel? Because with gospel proclamation, there is an expectation to obey. Romans 6, 17. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching. What is that teaching? Gospel. You have become obedient from the heart. Believing is obeying from the heart. Romans 10, 2. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. Speaking to his brethren, the Jews. For I bear them witness that they have a seal for God, but not according to knowledge, for being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. What is the gospel? God's righteousness. What is Paul saying here? They did not submit to it. 1 John 3.23 And this is, this is His commandment that we believe. His commandment is for you to believe. What he expects from you is for you to believe. A commandment is an imperative. Amen? It's something that you ought to do. Gospel proclamation is the call to obedience. What makes you a Christian, and I'm repeating this again over and over again for you to just cement that in your mind. What makes you a Christian is not a profession of faith. What makes you a Christian is an obedient faith. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 7, 21? Let me, let me bring that to remembrance. Not everyone who says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter to the, in the kingdom of God, but the one who does the will of my Father. Not the one who says, but the one who does the will of my Father. What is the will of my Father? John 6.40 And this is the will of my Father that everyone who is looking and believing in Him shall have eternal life. You see that? Not the one who says that he believes in me but the one who actually believes in me is the one who will have eternal life. You can confess, brothers and sisters, you can confess whatever you want. That will never save you. What saved you is the doing of the will of the Father Saving faith, a believing faith, a, an obedient faith, a surrendering faith. And that faith obeys. So what is the problem with modern gospel proclamation today? Is that we are offering a savior who can eliminate people's problems of self-worth self-esteem and the like 
So we are inviting them to accept Jesus by merely confessing him as Savior. Look around. Look at typical altar calls. Look at evangelistic crusades. What are we telling people? You're valuable to him. He loves you. You don't have to live that life. Just come. But that's not what we're called to do. You are called to command everyone to repent and believe because that is the very thing that they do not do. You are commanded to command everyone to repent and believe because that is exactly what God has commanded everyone to do. And there is a notion of difference between proclaiming the gospel through a command to repent and believe and sharing the gospel through an invitation to accept Jesus. You see the difference? You can say, repent and believe the gospel because God commands you to repent and believe the gospel. Or you can say, why don't you, why don't you accept Jesus as your Savior? He has a wonderful plan for your life. A faith that merely confesses Jesus but does not obey is a demonic faith. Unless you think that I am making this up. That I am creating a new foreign hipster way of preaching the gospel. Why don't we look at examples? of biblical evangelists. Let's, let's look at how they preach the gospel. And I think that we should start with Jesus himself, right? We should start with Jesus, the creator of all things. Let's look at Jesus' method of evangelism. In Mark 1, 14. Mark chapter 1, verse 14. Listen to what it says. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. Not whispering the gospel of God, but proclaiming. You see that? Proclaiming, heralding. What did Jesus do when he began his ministry? He began proclaiming the gospel. He began proclaiming himself. Proclaiming the gospel of God. Saying, listen, saying the time is fulfilled. What time? What, what, what is he talking about? Well, all the prophecies that started from Genesis 3.15 all the way through, through the New Testament. I mean, Jesus is coming. The Messiah is coming. The time is is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Accept me as your Savior in your heart. What, what does he say? Repent and believe in the gospel. Uh, you see it? Brothers and sisters, I want you to see it. Proclaim the gospel, saying, repent and believe. Uh, but, 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 but it gets worse. Luke 14. Luke chapter 14, verse 25. Now the great crowds accompanied him, Jesus, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and, and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. You see, the entrance, really, really, really narrow. You want to be my disciple? Yeah, you got to be willing to hate your own father and your own mother and your children and your brother and, and your wife and your husband. Even your own life. You cannot be my disciple unless you do that 
Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost? See, I'm proclaiming the gospel of God. I'm telling you to repent and believe. But before you do all of that, let let me qualify what it means to repent and believe. Let me tell you what it means for you to be my disciple. You gotta be willing to take your mom, your father, your wife, your children, your siblings, put them in a second category that they cannot be the primary goal of your life. Even if they oppose you, you follow me. That's what it means to be my disciple. It means that you got to be willing to carry your own cross. What does that mean? Hate your sin. I mean, you got to hate your sin. you gotta got to hate your own dispositions. You're going to be trying to follow me and then at the same time follow your own desires and aspirations. you got to put those things to death. That's what it means to follow me. Therefore, verse 33, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? Listen to what he says. It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. You want, to follow, you want to follow me, you got to repent, you got to, you, got to, you got to believe in the gospel, you got to believe in what I have done on behalf of sinners, but I want you to count the cost. Let's, let's, let's look at John the Baptist. Matthew chapter 3. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. And what did he say? Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The voice of the one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees. You know who who are the Pharisees and Sadducees? The, the, The Pharisees and the Sadducees are those who thought they were right with God. They thought that they were right with God. And John the Baptist takes that opportunity to address them. And he tells them. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come bear fruit in keeping with repentance. In other words, stop confessing and professing that you belong to God. Give evidence of it. Give evidence to it. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. What, what is he saying here? How do I know that you have believed you will produce fruit? I mean, you will produce fruit. You will evidence that. You cannot say that you are a believer, but you are not producing fruit. It is antithetical to scriptures. Let's, let's look at Peter's method of evangelism. Acts chapter 2, verses 22 to 41. Listen to how he starts. Very, 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 very compelling. Men of Israel, hear these words. He is demanding their attention. Men of Israel, listen to what I'm about to say. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God. With mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourself know. 
This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Now, verse 37, now, when they heard this, they were caught to the heart. Not when Peter was just telling them how valuable they were, but when Peter confronted their sin, they were caught to the heart. And they said to Peter and to the other apostles, what should I do? What should I do? And Peter responded, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sin. Verse 40, and with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. But let's look at Paul's method of evangelism. Acts chapter 17, verse 22 to 31. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, again, you see, demanding attention, men of Athens. This is Paul in the midst of Epicurean philosophers. Can you picture that? Paul, in the midst of a bunch of intellectuals. And he looks at them and he tells them, Listen to what I'm about to say. I perceive that in every way you are very religious. You see, I perceive that in every way you are very dogmatic about everything. For I as, as I pass along and observe the objects of your worship. <laughs> you know, in other words, you're a bunch of idolatrous people. I found also an altar with this inscription. To the unknown God. What therefore you worship it as unknown. This I proclaim to you. That God who made the world and everything in it. Being Lord of heaven and earth. Does not live in temples made by men. Nor is he served by human hands. As though he needed anything. Since he himself gives to all mankind. Life and breath and everything. Listen to me Epicurean philosophers. The reason why you're here today is because God gave you the opportunity to wake up this morning. You're breathing because God is making you breathe. And He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined a lot of periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. He's pointing to God's sovereignty. That they should seek God. You see, He created them to seek Him. We were created to seek God and perhaps feel their way toward Him and find Him. Yet, He is actually not far from each one of us. For in Him we live and move and have our being. You see, He took this poetic reference from Zeus and He applied it in His argument. We live and move and have our being in God. Meaning that there is nothing outside of the sphere of His control. He controls all things. Verse 29. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that He, that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art or 
and imagination of men. Listen, listen, listen. Some of you have constructed a God in your mind. And that God does not exist. The times of ignorance. God overlooked. But now he commands all people everywhere to what? To repent. Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness. By a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the He's commanding everyone to repent. Because. He will judge. Through his son. Not once. Did we find any mention of man's worth. Value. Importance. Felt needs. Emotional needs. Relational needs. Not once did we find any mention of God's love for them. Not once did we find any mention of an invitation to accept Jesus into their hearts. Not once did we find any mention of Jesus knocking at the door, waiting for you to open it. What was the pattern? Proclaim the gospel, command them to repent, command them to believe, count the cost, he will judge everyone. Brothers, listen. Jesus, Peter, John the Baptist, Paul, all of them said the same thing. All of them said the same thing. All of them. Then why are we saying something different? Do we think that we are better than Jesus? Do we think that we are wiser than Jesus? Do we think that we are more loving than Jesus? Yeah, the Jesus who told them, repent and believe. I mean, think about it. This is, this is arrogance. That somehow we need, to, we need to fix the approach. We need to water down the approach so we don't offend people. When Jesus, the creator of all things, is commanding them to believe and to repent. Paul is telling them, you got to repent because he will judge you. Peter is saying, you got to repent. Save yourself from this crooked generation. John the Baptist is saying, repent. And those who believe that are believers, you are not a Christian and you need to repent. How about that? Why? Because the purpose of gospel proclamation is to bring about obedience of faith. See that? The purpose of gospel proclamation is to bring about obedience and faith. Confessional faith is not what we are looking for in evangelism. A profession of faith is not what we are looking for in evangelism. We're looking for an obedient faith. Amen? Confessional faith or a profession of faith is not the entry point into the kingdom of God. Rather, the outworking of an obedient faith. Obedient faith is what makes you a Christian. I have heard many people say that you can accept Jesus as your Savior. Later on in life, you can accept Him as your Lord. You cannot have that 
If he is your Savior, he is your Lord. You know why? Because he is your Lord regardless of what you think. He is the Lord of all. He owns everyone. So he is your Lord. He is the Lord of atheists. He is the Lord of Buddhists. He is the Lord of everyone. They just don't want, they don't want to recognize it. So an obedient faith is what makes you a Christian, a profession of faith in the midst of trouble, in the midst of persecution, is what evidences that obedient faith. When you preach the gospel to others, when you're preaching and proclaiming the gospel to others, look for an obedient response. Charles Spurgeon said, Men obey not until they believe in him. We preach faith in order that men may be brought to obedience. To disbelief is to disobey. One of the first signs of practical obedience is found in the obedience of the mind. The understanding and the heart. And this is expressed in believing the teaching of Christ, trusting to this work, to his work. And resting in his salvation. Faith is the morning start of obedience. If we would work the work of God. We must believe on Jesus Christ. Whom he has sent brethren. We do not give a secondary place to obedience. Brothers. We do not give a secondary place to obedience. That is exactly what we have done in evangelism. We look upon the obedience of the heart. To the will of God. As salvation. I open this message with. The negative influence of Robert Sandeman. And contrary to his influence in today's evangelism. You are not saved by a mere profession of faith. You are saved when you repent, believe and surrender. You are not called to invite people to accept Jesus. You have an apostolic mission to command everyone to repent and believe. Here's the question. Who will believe? Who will believe the message? Who will believe the gospel that we are proclaiming? We will discuss that next week. Let's pray.